0: Hello and welcome to Conspiracy Games and Counter Games, season two of The Order of Unmanageable Risks, a podcast about capitalism and its, anxi- its anxieties. My name
1: is Aris Comporosos Athanasiu and I'm a an associate professor of sociology at University College London. And I'm A.T. Kingsmith. I'm a PhD candidate at York University. This season, our podcast is dedicated to going beyond the headlines and the easy answers and exploring the rise of conspiracies, conspiracy theories and conspiratorial thinking in a gamified capitalist
2: world. Uh, And I'm Max Haven. I'm Canada Research Chair in the Radical Imagination at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, Canada. And we're very pleased today to be joined by a special guest after a little bit of a break on our podcast, Brent Lee, who has been involved in the conspiracy world uh, from 2003 to 2018. uh, And as he'll explain to us, involved in a number of uh, things that you might have heard about uh, that occurred within those years. However, now, Brent uh, runs a very important YouTube channel and blog, which you can find at Brent Lee TV. that's B-R-E-N-T-L-E-E TV. And you can also reach out to him on Twitter, uh, where he will respond to you and speak to you about his time uh, in those conspiracy worlds. Brent, thank you so much for joining us. It's a real pleasure to have you.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I'm
2: very happy to be here. Brent, we were just talking before the interview began that today is uh, the notorious 7-7, the 7th of July, which was a date of a very infamous uh, set of terrorist attacks in London, which killed dozens of people. Um, And you were relating to us just before the interview began that... uh, you, that this was a very important date for you in your trip down the proverbial rabbit hole as someone who was, um, as you say, like a, a conspiracist, not just someone who believed a conspiracy theory, but someone who was uh, generating conspiracy theories with others and really involved in that world of, of what you called the grand conspiracy. And that since you've, you've begun trying to, you, you've broken out of that world and, and are helping others you, your YouTube channel and your blog and your presence on Twitter has been really influential for many people. Uh, and today you posted something about uh, your experience on the original 7-7 and, and got some feedback. Can you just walk us through that? Um, yeah.
3: Yeah. Today is obviously 7-7 where 52 people were killed by four terrorists um, in 2005. In this road to reconciliation, in recovery, like I, I felt today was a necessary time to like say I'm sorry to the victims, to the families, to the friends, to every single person that's been affected by these conspiracy theories. And I, I made a little post today about it to say, you know, I'm sorry. And a survivor actually reached out to me today to tell me that he forgived me and that he was proud of what I'm doing today. And it was such a surreal. Emotional moment having that really hit home. You know, it's not just something that I was playing about with on the internet. This was a real person. You know, it was very, very, very important. I think uh, having that today is, yeah, quite emotional. Um, on 7 7 itself, 7th of July 2005, I was in the David Icke forum in the morning. The minute we heard something on the news that said that there was a an electrical surge or a power surge, we started jumping thinking there's a there's something happened. It's a terrorist attack or something. It's got to be a false flag. So we started scouring the news. All the 24-hour news stations, like we were looking at all of them, it was a group of us. And basically we were gathering every bit of information that was coming in, every inconsistency, and basically forming the conspiracy of 7-7 over the next few weeks all the way up to past the, the, the failed attack on the 21st of July. Like, we were analyzing everything that was coming out through then. So, as usual, like most conspiracies seem to be based on inconsistencies within reporting from the press. And that's where like the, the questions come in. I was a part of that conspiracy making day you know and for the next 13 years I pushed this conspiracy theory I made songs about it I had a website about it I it was one of my main conspiracies that I pushed because I I was so invested in it.
2: Wow I mean that is an incredible story and, and thank you for sharing it and I think as we were saying too before like thank you for also making it your your role to alert people to how this is what happens and how this is done and and tell the story from inside we're going to go back and maybe ask you about how you got into these worlds and and that sort of thing but uh maybe a follow-up that's just so close to what we're interested in i was so fascinated by when you were relating to us like how how you all were on the same forums and doing this kind of act of it was kind of creative act together like actually analyzing the news and then making sort of conjectures what, what sorts of people would have been in that those kind of forums? And, and what was it like to be in that
3: community? That, that day was very exhilarating because we thought we were catching the government in a criminal act. That's what we were doing. Like back in the early 2000s, there wasn't very much... Conspiracies weren't based on hoaxes back then. They were based on false flags. So if someone, if a, a terrorist attack happened... What we were saying is that it wasn't the terrorists. It was the government or the Illuminati or the New World Order, whatever, whatever baddie you want to think it is. So we felt like we were ge- getting justice for the victims by f- actually finding who the the culprit was, you know? So it was very exhilarating. We were like tinfoil sleuths is what I said today. That's, that's how we felt like, like actual like, participating in an investigation or something. People today could probably relate to it with the disappearance and murder of Gabby Petito when there was a lot of people like doing this internet detective work, trying to find where this w- this woman had gone missing. It's very similar to that.
0: Perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about uh, what you mean by being a conspiracist. So, uh especially if we contrast the term with conspiracy theorist. Um, and yeah, if you could tell us a little bit about what initially led you down that path.
3: There's a distinction to be made between a conspiracy theorist and a conspiracist. Now, a conspiracy theorist could be just someone who believes in any, a few conspiracy theories, you know, mainstream ones, JFK, nine eleven was an inside job, something similar to that. And I don't feel like the conspiracy theorist term will help in any way, because conspiracists tend to act like if you call them a conspiracy theorist, you're insulting them. But conspiracist is someone whose worldview is based on all conspiracies. So I believed that the whole world was being run by an elite cabal. You know, everything that was happening was part of the conspiracy. So the difference between a conspiracy theorist and a conspiracist is an ideology. If you just play around with conspiracies here and there, well, we didn't land on the moon, then you're just a conspiracy theorist. It's just, you know. As to how I got introduced to this world, it was 2003 and I was just messing around on the computer, to be honest. I've always been interested in documentaries and learning and a couple of conspiracy things, like, like I said, JFK, Roswell, or stuff like that. It's always very interested in geopolitics, so I liked to learn about terrorism, extremism, et cetera, things like that. Anyway, I was on the, on the internet, and I used to use a program called DC++. It's a, f- a peer-to-peer file sharing piece of software. And basically, you install on your computer, you make a little folder, you put all your stuff that you would like to share in this folder, and that gets uploaded through this this program. On that program, there was a hub called documentaries and lectures. I thought that was very, that's great. That's exactly where I want to go. So I went in there and I found a folder, just a random folder. It said the truth. So I downloaded that. I looked, well, I looked in it and I noticed there was a lot of like JFK or what really happened on 9-11 and stuff like this. And I was like, okay, well, let's download it and let's have a look. So I downloaded it and There was a series of videos that I watched first. It was Millennium 2000 and Lucifer 2000. These videos were produced by two conspiracists, one called Anthony J. Hilder and the other called Jordan Maxwell. Jordan Maxwell became like a very, very big figure in the conspiracy world. He actually introduced David Icke to the Americas. He brought him over and set him up with a whole series of lectures and got his books published in America. These videos were showing the New World Order conspiracy theory. It was focused on showing like Freemasons and the Illuminati being behind the scenes. And I thought that was interesting, I guess. But it wasn't until I watched one of the 9-11 videos that it re- I really thought, actually, this stuff might be real. Because the, the evidence, in air quotes, was right in front of me. It was right there in plain sight. The videos were showing controlled demolition, you know, and it just, I just really, I bought it that day when I started watching the 9-11 stuff, I completely bought it. And then I had to go back and start watching all the other things to kind of try and figure out what, what actually has happened here. And the rest is history, really.
2: I'm curious, like who you were at that time, because you're like clearly a very smart very sensitive person. I imagine you were at that time as well. And I think the stereotype of, of people who become conspiracists is that they're kind of like gnarly trolls uh, who fall for like, uh, like dumb myths. And that's clearly not the case. So I wonder if you would tell us a little bit about like, like who you were, you know, all those years ago and, and what do you think it might have been in your life that made it so attractive to do that kind of research and, and fall into those worlds?
3: I was a singer in a band. I was part of a large social group, you know, all of the bands in the city, we all like hung out together, but I had a slight political leaning when it came to like my music because my stepdad was in the military. And ever since the first Gulf War broke out, I started paying attention to geopolitics because I cared and I didn't want my dad to go to war. That was essentially something fundamental to me, very anti-war. So I was very aware of geopolitics, Bin Laden, Al Qaeda, all of that type of stuff. But 2003 comes around, and this is where I was at that moment. We were teetering on war with Iraq, and there was no need to me to go to war in Iraq. The problem was, it was in Afghanistan. The problem was Bin Laden. So I had some, some suspicions, and I think my anti-war sentiment and my suspicion fed into like having this pretext for war i think that's where i was at the time and that's why that's why so many of us actually kind of fell for this 9-11 conspiracy myth because we were anti-war we didn't want that to happen
1: yeah i just wanted to pick up on you you say so many of us and so we're I'd love to talk a bit more about maybe the community of conspiracists that you were a part of for this 15 years, you know, was it, was it exclusively online and was it in person and and maybe even more centrally, like what did it feel like? What kind of, you know, just in the general sense, what kind of, what kind of people were were you kind of exploring? If you could just unpack this us a bit.
3: I thought it was people like me, but obviously the more you speak to people, like you start to figure out that there's differences between each other. The we, I think I'm talking about a lot of times is, the first kind of community I was a part of. And that was in the David-like forum. That was a mixed bag of people, obviously. Um, But I think we all have one thing in common and that's trying to be truth seekers or trying to expose the powers that be, you know, expose what actually the truth is. I think that's the thing that unites us and it didn't really matter about some of the other things that we didn't agree with, you know, with each other, shall I say. A lot of the communities were online, but it did spill over into my real life. You know, I was, like I said, I, I was a musician. So I was asked to go to gigs and go to some uh, like conspiracy lectures, perform there. You know, so I was part of like an outside community as well. Uh, my, me and my partner were both conspiracy theorists or conspiracists. We met in 2010. And I had, like, a group of real-life friends here in Bristol where we would meet up at once a month to go for dinner. And we, like, we joked, like, we were at the round table, you know. <laughs> we're the only people in this restaurant that know what's really going on. That kind of thing.
0: Yeah, so, and because it was a long time that you spent in that community that you're describing. And could you tell us maybe a bit about what it was that kept you going like what kind of aspects of that community life and uh, the groups and the the you know the, the the everyday interactions i mean in your in your own experience like what was it that kept you
3: a part of it i would say just trying to expose the truth i think there's a massive difference between the conspiracy theorists of today and the conspiracists of yesterday. It seems like they're a lot less empathetic and caring today. I don't know if this is just my bias or it's because it's just how I felt, but I feel like we were doing it for a better reason back then. We were hopeful. We wanted to change the world. You know, We wanted to bring these people down. That's the thing that kept me going every day. I need to expose this. I need to expose this. And after time, you feel like... You can't speak to people; they don't want to listen or anything. So, what I ended up doing was try to be part of the welcoming party. You know, so when people would come into the conspiracy world, I would try and be one of those people that greets them into it. At someone like David Icke or Alex Jones would wake them up and introduce them to this world, and then I would try and be like a bit more like of a welcoming party rather than out there trying to convert or radicalize anyone else.
2: I think there's a strong trend among academics who study conspiracism, conspiracy theories, conspiracy fantasies, whatever you want to call them. That's the idea that in some way, um, it's what the the people in literature might call like a compensatory fantasy. So we all feel helpless in a world of injustice. And so you you gravitate towards the conspiracy theory because you're like, uh, it gives you a sense of having power. If it's only just the power of knowing what's actually going on. But then the the kind of critique there is also that like, well, there's what's supposed to happen? Like when you were in those worlds, what was your kind of narrative of what would happen if enough people believed, if enough people knew the truth? Would there be some sort of democratic uprising with the idea that things would get worse and then the, the government would be more repressive and it would show its true colors and then there'd be some sort of revolution? Like I'm curious what First, what you think of that kind of analysis of, you know, conspiracism emerging from a sense of powerlessness. And also then what, what were the kind of discussions and debates about what
3: would happen after after you guys were successful in, in uh, sharing the truth? You're right in there. It does come from a lack of power, like a feeling of power, but is also brought about by the world being so corrupt. You know, the world is corrupt. Media does lie to you. Politicians do lie to you corporations and big banks and business people are fleecing us like that is why we're rebelling against it it's like the world is corrupt so we're trying to find an answer for that basically and these conspiracies gave me an answer it gave me a like okay that's who's doing it and we've got a person we've got a bunch of people to actually point the finger at it's not just this randomness we all want to have peace. We all want to feel powerful. Like, like you said, of just knowing what's going on as to what would happen if we did wake everyone up, we kind of prepared for, I don't I don't want to say prepared. We prepared our minds, I guess, for a chaotic, chaotic time. But essentially what we used to always say is like, we'll turn the light on and the cockroaches will scatter. And I, I don't think we planned any, anything further than that. I didn't plan anything further than that other than like, well, we'll just have to be here for when everyone wakes up. We'll just have to be here to clean the mess up, but didn't really have to, didn't really have any solutions. I think that's something that really kind of pulled me away from a lot of conspiracies back Like when I started coming away from it. Is like, why is everyone so focused on the problem and then reacting to the problem? Where's the solutions? What are we going to do about it? we'd be curious to hear
1: what are your thoughts on maybe the role of masculinity in the kind of truth-seeking movement and seeking out these answers but then also just the role of technology in making it easier to facilitate the
3: the formation of these processes the masculinity part is something that's like a lot more prominent now like i was kind of saying it feels like there's less compassion today with among conspiracists whereas when i started kind of getting into it the moderators of David Icke forum, I think three out of four of them were women. You know, so there wasn't any toxic masculinity that is involved in it today. It even wasn't very political. Like, it, it, there wasn't much of a political leaning to it in the early two thousands. It's only recently, since two thousand twelve to fifteen or something, it started becoming this toxic right wing version. You started getting the incels involved. You started getting the MAGA people involved. It's just this whole, the Gamergate stuff. You know, they, they started jumping on the conspiracies. It, it, like it's, I think that's a new manifestation of it. Yeah, and obviously the technology was just the means to spread it and the means to get access to it. Like I said, like me in 2003, I was using dial-up, I think, you know and I, it took me 3 or 4 days to download one video but i kept it on all night downloading that stuff like whereas today it is instant boom you got it on your phone you got it on your tablet you know and there's just so much of it and i've seen that growth i saw the birth of these social media platforms i saw how they like started to spread how the communities moved from one thing to the next back in the day it was like david Icke forum Prison Planet Forum, uh, just random forums, and then MySpace came around, and we all started gravitating towards MySpace, and there was so many like conspiracists on MySpace; it was insane, really. And then, obviously, we moved on to Facebook and YouTube, and then and Twitter. Facebook obviously became completely saturated with it, but it took a while, you know. It's just become much more accessible the more that we have the internet the more that we have these platforms in our pockets so i wanted to go back to something that you just mentioned
0: a moment ago about the political affiliations of the community the conspiracy community as you understood them uh, especially in the in the first years and i was struck by what you said that it's not what it looks like today. So the, the, the connection with the far right and with the Trump folks uh, wasn't as clear or it wasn't there in, in the way we understand it today. And I was also thinking that you know your own analysis, the way you described it, of on what brought you to that world was in many ways has a lot to share with you know a left-wing kind of progressive analysis of what how Fucked up the system is, and um, you know the, the injustices of it. So I'm just wondering if you could tell us a bit more about how you understood the politics of that community, and what's your inkling? What's your kind of? What are your thoughts about what might have shifted at some point there politically?
3: Yeah, the message of the conspiracy influencers back in those days and the people that followed it was that the left and the right was the same. Iraq War we had bush in america and we had blair in england so left and right working together to create destruction or whatever and it was always billed as that like these left and this right it doesn't matter it's the same it's two wings of the same bird that's how most of us got to it from my research now oh god i hate using the word research but from my looking into it now steve bannon is one of those guys. That weaponized and politicized conspiracy world and brought it into the fold. When he said about like radicalizing the gamers and bringing them into it, like it's people like that that started to really politicize this. And then you had like, oh God, you had Trump turned up on InfoWars. When I saw that, like I was still a conspiracist at that time, wasn't really a fan of Alex Jones at that time. I was at the beginning but maybe a different story later. I did end up thinking that he was possessed by demons, But so I stopped listening to him. But anyway, that's a different part of the story. When, he, when Trump turned up on there, I was just like, this is ridiculous. What? Why is anyone supporting this guy? And obviously, Pizzagate comes out and QAnon and all of that sorts of stuff. That's just how it was. We just weren't, we were anti-war. We, were all, we all were kind of progressive in a way, all the way up to Occupy occupy wall street before
2: we we go into how you began to exit the community and those perspectives i wanted to ask you about when when you were in those communities what was it like when experts academics journalists educators wanted to come and like debunk the conspiracy theories i'm like we have so many listeners and and so much of what we do in our podcast is try and um problematize the way that people think it it should be so easy to just go out with the right information and be like oh conspiracists you're a bunch of dupes like here's here's the real information voila presto everyone stops believing in it and i'm wondering if you can cast your mind back to being in those moments when you would when you would sort of hear those arguments or see those pundits on television uh you'd, you'd be the target of those strategies of debunking conspiracy theories i mean what What did you think? How did you and others in the community kind of insulate yourself from them? Um, and And then we'll maybe come to what actually does work in a minute.
3: The first thought would always be, of course, that's what you would say. Of course, that's what you say. You haven't done the research I've been doing. You didn't notice all the numbers that I noticed. You didn't notice all these, you know, completely ridiculous things. But it's hard to change the mind of someone who has come to an idea realizing that this was an ideology is very very important here it's not an opinion and to change someone's ideology is really really tough the things i would notice though is like michael Shermer, people like that and they'd come in and act like you're stupid for believing what you believe that you've got no right to believe what you're believing And like I said earlier, no, the world is effed up. And that's why we believe these things. We're just trying to find answers. And you, Mr. Shill, Michael Shermer, getting probably paid by the CIA or something, not really, but that's what we thought. This is exactly what I thought. I've been speaking to some BBC journalists, you know, or I spoke to uh, an immunologist recently. And I was like, I would have said you were a shill. You were not real. I don't see you at work. I don't see you in a lab coat. How do I know? You're just a person on Twitter making up these things. And it, that is what we thought, though. We did think, like, there was agents out there trying to tell us, trying to make us look bad. What What was the first inkling that, that led you to maybe want to leave?
1: The first kind of cracks that perhaps like appear in, in the veneer of some of these things that you believe
3: in the community? It didn't want to make me leave, but it made me question The community. And that was Sandy Hook. Uh, There was a bunch of occurrences around that time Sandy Hook shooting, the Aurora uh, cinema shooting, the Pulse nightclub shooting, and the Boston Marathon bombing. And I started to notice a new narrative being spun. And that's what a lot of people are very familiar with today and that's this concept of it being a hoax we used to believe in false flags false flags were a real occurrence but we blamed someone else for it um real people died around sandy hook and these other events the narrative was that nobody died the narrative that was that these were crisis actors and i remember me and my partner both from the get go we're just like looking at these crisis actor memes and pictures and stuff and just thinking what is wrong with these people Did people look similar what what it's not these deaths require sorry these are supposed to be rituals and sacrifices people have to die in these events for the sacrifice to actually matter why would they use fake people like this this is ridiculous Because this is part of the thing that I believed, 7-7, 9-11, all these major terrorist events or mass shooting events, even back to Columbine, were ritual sacrifices. That was like my belief. So seeing the whole movement kind of move to this, it's a hoax, they're crisis actors, no one died, made me question the integrity of the truth movement, you know, because I was like, well, I know this is right. I know these people are dead because it's, it serves the ritual. How else, why else would they do it? It doesn't make sense. When, in your
2: mindset at that time, what, how, how were those mass murders uh, ritualistic, like a, a ritual by, by whom? And then another quick question following up from what you said, like, why do you think that these other conspiracists
3: had this alternate narrative that it was, that it was totally fake? I was introduced to the idea of events being a ritual by David Icke, by his work. The best example of this is, because this is part of the thing that that hooked me, is the death of Princess Diana. Okay, now there's, this is gonna sound silly to people, I get it, I understand, but these are the reasons why we believe these things. Princess Diana. All right. Diana, moon goddess. Princess Diana died in the Pont Alma tunnel, which was, a, did used to be a, a place for Diana moon worship in France. So there's some sort of link to us for some reason there. Kind of makes a little bit like, oh, that's a weird, weird link. But then there's things like she died on 31st and she hit the 13th pillar. So those are like mirrored versions of the number. Obviously 13 has this unlucky or occult symbology to us. And then above the tunnel, there was a like a memorial, right? And it is a black eternal torch, which a symbol of the Illuminati to us. But that was then on top of a five-pointed star. So all of these things start to like mount up as having some sort of occult significance, I guess. And you start adding all these things together. And basically, that's how you start to think that, oh, this must be done out of ritualistic manners. I didn't really believe that it actually did stuff at the beginning. I just thought they believed it. It wasn't until a few years later that I started kind of believing, okay, I think they are actually getting power from this stuff. But to be honest, like all of this ritualistic stuff just is based on numbers because a bunch of numbers add up. If it's some sort of occult numerological significance, then it's a ritual. And I think that's really what it all come, boils down to. I'm going to ask you one more question about the sort of conspiracy
0: world as you were experiencing it before we go Uh, to the final part about the exit and so it's a question about play and games and as you know our, our podcast is called conspiracy games and counter games so we're very interested in this idea about conspiracism as a kind of play that is folks getting together trying to figure out a mystery with others and that is there is this kind of joy of play what do you make of
1: this
3: yeah, I think it harkens back to what I was saying at the very beginning of the episode about that day on 7 7. You know, it was exhilarating. It was exciting because you felt like you were doing something. You know, you thought you felt like you were breaking this case together. Yeah, it, it was participatory. There was like a, a reward at the end of like feeling good, like, ah, we did good work today we didn't do good work hell. And I'm very, very sh- ashamed of, 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 that time. What? So you've
2: told us a little bit about your discomfort with the kind of rhetoric and approach that a lot of this new brand of conspiracists were taking, you know, this idea about the, that this events never happened. That was kind of what started to trigger your sort of skepticism, but the, Take us on a journey of how you how you made it out.
3: All those events that I was talking about, Boston Marathon bombing, Sandy Hook, Aurora, those were all between like 2012 and 2013. And it's where this hoax thing starts coming on. But from 2012 to say 2017 is when I I came up with an idea to explain all that. And During that time, there was quite a few camps, quite a few different movements coming out of the movement. One was this whole, everything is hoaxed and staged camp. And then there was the Flat Earthers started coming out. Then there was this Mandela effect stuff coming out. And then there was Pizzagate also coming out. And I don't know, I felt... Stupid versions of conspiracism, childish forms that just took away from the seriousness of stuff that we were working on for so many years. In by 2017, instead of saying, okay, all of it's rubbish, I thought this is a psyop by the Illuminati. We've made so much ground in the past 10 years plus that we've got them running scared and they've set a bunch of conspiracies, conspiracy theories out there to discredit us. Flares who the hell are going to believe that all these sorts of things like that. And I was, I was convinced that's exactly what it was that day. I'll actually try and find you to post. Cause I posted something on, I posted it on Facebook in 2017. Yeah.
1: Oh, we have time. Please. Okay. Here we are. We can, we can go. Yeah.
3: This is on the 28th of February, 2017. So about a year before I actually gave up on all of it. And I think this is like, this is the the start of me actually really starting to just, I've backed myself into a corner. I've moved every goalpost that I could. There's nowhere else to go, I think, after this point. Peace and blessings. My apologies to those who may be offended, but the truth movement has been compromised. There is a highly comprehensive and multifaceted psyop in the works. We as a movement have gained so much ground since 2000 that we have managed to pose a serious threat to the New World Order being established. It is for this reason that they want to split and destroy us. This psyop has five faces. Do not fall for this five-finger death punch. One, hoaxes. They say violent attacks such as Sandy Sandy Hook, terror attacks in Paris, and the Orlando shooting are hoaxes and that they were carried out by the media and emergency services and crisis actors were used to act as victims, and no one died. Two, flat earth. We live in a geocentric model. The earth is stationary and flat, and we live under a dome. Three, the Mandela effect. Our timeline has shifted, some say, with the parallel universe, and the past is not as we remember it. So, Number four, celebrity cloning centers. Certain celebrities, politicians, and other elites are actually cloned versions of themselves. And number five, every one hit wonder is in the Illuminati. They're saying every, every celebrity or every other elite is in the Illuminati. Every single person you see using certain hand, de- hand gestures is in it, but we are truthers, not conspiracy theorists. This message is specifically for those who have woken up in the past four to five years. As I've noticed, a lot of old school truthers aren't falling for most of these apart from some of y'all believe in this hoax thing but hey there's room for debate on that topic and i think that was like that was like this real start of my exit i think the paranoia took over so in a sense you 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 began to be paranoid
2: that in fact the conspiracy world itself had been infiltrated and and so that then, I are I, I you saying that that then introduced a kind of skepticism towards everything and then things came to fall apart or was it more sort of yeah. like things things intensified to a certain mo- moment until there was a kind of like nervous and kind of uh, explosion or something?
3: Well, there was, there was things happening in the real world that I just could not account for anymore. There's three major events that happened like between 2015 and 2018 that literally just made me go, okay. I've had it wrong all this time. This can't really be going on. I should also clarify that my conspiracism was split into two. Okay. There was a spiritual aspect of it and there was a political aspect of it. The political aspect of it is what I'm talking about when it comes to the main, the real world things happening, which helped break down, you know, my my political understanding of it. I should go back a little bit and explain how I came out of the spiritual version first, because I feel like that helped me get out of the politics. So I started to uh, study a lot more to do with my religion. I'm Christian. I'm not uh, a Catholic or a Protestant or anything like that. I'm just, I I call myself a mystic Christian, but I started to study a lot more about the historic context of when the words were written. I started studying a lot about the historic, the historicity of Jesus himself and his followers. I started to understand that hell isn't real, despite what the churches and all that speak. And then with a deeper understanding of the book of Revelation, I started to find out that 666 Antichrist was talking about Emperor Nero, It wasn't, it was talking about the time, you know, when John was around. It wasn't foreshadowing something that would happen 2,000 years in the future. So, with these understandings, I started to think or realize: A, there's no hell, and B, there's no Antichrist. So, why are they setting up a new world order for the Antichrist to come and reign for the rest of whatever? It kind of, that doesn't make sense. So that started pulling me away from thinking these people are satanic or these people are devil worshipers or serving the the antichrist. Because it's not a moment where you just snap and you change your mind. It's a slow, gradual understanding. So that's kind of where I got out of the spiritual aspect of it, which serves how I got out of the politics. Now... As I said earlier, there was three events that happened within a space of each other that just really started to bring apart the political aspect of it. Those events were the election of Trump, the Brexit vote, or the results of the Brexit vote, and the election of Jeremy Corbyn as Labour leader. Those were three things to me that just, if my political understanding of the new world order was real... Those three things would never have happened ever. And it really like shocked me. I was just like, the day of the referendum result, me and my partner were both like, where's the one world order? How does this serve the new world order? This just doesn't, you know. And it it just started making us go, all right, we need some time away from all of this stuff. We need some time away. We need to try and figure all this out. Again, the rest is history. I'm here today now doing this.
1: You talk about how kind of these like these populist movements uh, around something like Brexit um, sort of disprove or kind of show the cracks in this idea around the new world order theories. Um, And I guess I just wanted to ask for you to elaborate a bit more, because there's also an interesting tension, obviously, around these things are after your time. But things like QAnon in the United States are very closely tied to Trump and populist movements. And so I was just interested to hear your thoughts about how this kind of tension maybe plays out today
3: a bit differently, as maybe as an outsider now. It is completely dominated by one spectrum of political thought nowadays. From trying to understand conspiracies, conspiracy theories, conspiracists, and everything about where it comes from, the early 2000s was a sleight of hand by the conspiracy influencers. They were right-wingers. Alex Jones is a populist, alt-right, extreme Christian conservative. And we didn't notice it because he kept slagging off George Bush. You know, we didn't think he was on that side. But doing my studies now, I know that these people have been pushing this for decades, for centuries even, you know, ever since Abbe Barrowell and John Robeson wrote the first books on the Freemason and Illuminati conspiracy theory, it's been to squash the left. You know, it's been a protest against the invention of the left. And I I didn't know it. I didn't realize it. They just, they hid it from us that whole time, at least in the early 2000s. I think they saw the anti-war sentiment and thought we could capitalize off this. There's a bunch of angry people that we can get, to pull them in, but we have to keep the politics out of it and act like the left and right is the same. And they drop little things in there. I listen to some old Alex Jones stuff now, and I'm so ashamed that I didn't catch that shit. I just didn't catch it. You know, I was too focused on some of the other stuff, maybe he was saying, to completely not realize that, crap, I'm pushing some anti-trans, anti-LGBT, anti-Semitic, Pushing all this stuff. I, 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 this isn't what I, I wanted. I want to do something I've noticed a lot about the movements today and the movements back then is the movement back then wasn't targeting normal people, it wasn't targeting your average citizen living their life doing whatever they do. It was trying to bring down the elite. And today, it's your whoever is. Whoever is a member of the LGBT community, whoever minority, they're somehow the enemy. They're somehow the ones conspiring against you, and that is just so far away from the stuff that I got into at the beginning. It was about helping the people. It wasn't about blaming people. You, you're doing okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I get a bit emotional sometimes. No, no I, I can tell, tell. <laughs> and I, I,
2: it makes little sense. I just wanted to know if you wanted a break or if you're. Yeah
3: no no this is um i like doing this stuff because it helps me understand helps me remember ah. mm. cuz this goes back nearly 20 years now it's 19 years now mm. that i've got to try and remember yeah. and i lived this in and out so it's really uh, cathartic mm. to do this to speak about this to figure it all out because this is for believers and skeptics believers to be like oh yeah i i know that i know that person cuz i've been there And then skeptics to just understand like, we're not lunatics, we're not evil. We just believed lunacy. Even if it hurts to talk about it or makes you feel uncomfortable or whatever, I don't, it doesn't matter, it has to be done. It has to be done so people understand.
0: Just to go back to the question of community that we were discussing earlier, and because I was thinking as you were describing so powerfully your journey out, this series of kind of realizations and how they kind of came about, how, how you felt in relation to others. I mean, how did your, how did the community around you shifted or your your relationship with, with that? And how, how do you experience that? How did that feel?
3: So in 2018, when I was like, pushed into a corner and I didn't really know what was going on with my life anymore. Like, or at least not, not with my life anymore, but what I thought about the world, what I did was I logged off. I went off of Facebook and I didn't go back on for nearly three years. Every once in a while I hopped on there and I would post a cat video and then walk off. But my relationship with the community was I walked away because I needed to figure it out. That's kind of who I am as a person, though. Sometimes I just need time to myself to figure things out. Now, going back to the community afterwards, it wasn't so good. Obviously, you know, I turned my back on them. I'd hurt them. I come out and said, you're all wrong. But I tried to say it like, look, guys, I was wrong. So if I was wrong, you were wrong, too. You know, but it was uh, very, very toxic coming back. That's for sure.
1: Brent, I wanted to ask you, I, I was watching one of your, your videos recently that I really enjoyed. This one you made, just kind of explaining some of your process of, of leaving the community. And you said something that, that really, really stuck with me about how one of the things that helped you get out is that your interests remained intact. You could still explore the things you wanted to research and use your kind of, you know, use your mind to kind of explore geopolitics, the things that you were interested in. And so I wonder if you could maybe elaborate a bit more on the, the importance of having your interests still as a thing that you could maybe rely on uh, as you transitioned out of the community.
3: Yeah. It gave me something else to like really focus on. (laughs) I just like to understand things. So I needed to understand why I was where I was. And like even today, I'm still so interested in conspiracies. So interested, but I'm not, I just will not believe them straight away or anything like that. You know, um, I think it's, I mean, it's great to have interest, isn't it? <laughs> it's good to have uh, something you can focus on, take away the stresses of the days of your work and stuff. And I don't know, mine seems to be like <laughs> researching weird stuff, I guess. Um, but it it helped and it helps today still so that I can help other people understand, I guess. You know, I, I want to help my truthers, the people that I had such strong relationships with over years. Uh, some, of the, some of these relationships are completely dead. You know, and it's people I spoke to for 15 years, almost all the time, and they literally do not want to speak to me anymore. So, yeah, I, I use these interests to learn more about these things that we believed in. And I try, I try to bring them back out of that rabbit hole. I care about these people at the end of the day. They are my friends. There's only like three hardcore conspiracists that are still my friend out of, I don't know, my Facebook was was something stupid, like 4,000 people on it at one time. I think I've lost like 1,500 or something in this past year, but still
2: that brings us to kind of where we were hoping to kind of bring things towards a close which is we were asked we were wondering like now you've you've taken the master's tools so to speak you you're using YouTube and you're you're using that platform which has been such a such a super highway <laughs> for so many of the conspiracy movements to kind of try and um, introduce doubt to, and to tell your story and also help people exit um, those communities or at least the toxic parts of those communities. What, yeah. Why did, why did you take that strategy and, and tell us a little about the strategy, like your kind of filmmaking strategy on YouTube? Like why do you, why do you approach making um, content that way in order to reach people who are in the place that you might've been a few years ago?
3: Well, I'd like to preface this with the reason why I speak out. Or the event that happened that made me go, all right, I need to, need to make, I need to, to start this conversation. And that is January 6th, built up a bit by, by the COVID-19 conspiracies, which all through that pandemic stage, I was thinking, oh my God, I'm so ashamed that used to be these people. This is just, they're just being ridiculous right now, you know, but it was January 6th. It was the shooting of Ashley Babbitt. When I found out she was a in Honor, it felt like the world stopped. And I looked at my partner and said, holy shit, that could have been you. That could have been me. Not that we were in Honors, but we did believe there was an elite group that did satanic ritual sacrifice, did SRA. There were VIP pedophiles. And if I was in her shoes that day I probably would have been there thinking yeah we're all going to take these evil people down and yeah just seeing that seeing that finding out she was a queuing on her she believed a lot of the stuff that I used to believe and I just thought shit I think I need to actually speak speak out somehow I don't I don't know what to do I don't know what to say I don't know what but if I can just say one thing that will stop one person from going to that place and dying, then then whatever, I've done something good. Yeah, and I settled on YouTube basically. I settled on YouTube and that's now evolved into making a podcast instead. So I feel I feel I can get more, more accomplished in this new podcast that I'm doing. As I said, it started on YouTube though, doing some reaction videos to conspiracism, to conspiracy videos, trying to do like live debunks of them. I went back and I watched the very first two videos that I that got me into the rabbit hole, the Millennium 2000 and Lucifer 2000. I went back and watched them and I recorded myself debunking it as it goes along. YouTube is just the place, isn't it? It's the place to make this type of content, I guess. I will be continuing doing more videos, but I'm just trying to concentrate on this podcast at the minute, which if I can give it a shout out, some dare call it conspiracy is my friend, me me and my friend, Neil Sanders. And we will systematically break down as many conspiracies as we can. We're trying to focus on one topic at a time. We represent like for about an hour, what the conspiracy theorists believe so that we don't Misrepresent it. I provide a lot of my own experience of like how I believed these certain things, how I how how I made it work, or why people would believe this thing or that thing. And then for the second and third hour, we basically strip away every single falsehood that that conspiracy theory is based on. And by the end, we're just left with the little tiny bit of truth that is left what, you know, what the actual thing was about. And I absolutely love doing this one right now. This is absolutely fantastic. It's helping me also figure out what I believe now. It's helping me like really look into these conspiracy theories that I believed and figure out where I was being pulled from one direction or pulled from the other direction, who created it, who was spreading it, you know, figure out who played me and and finding the truth to things at the very, very bottom of it. Oh, you know, like the new episode that I'm editing right now, World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. You know, it's not something I actually believed in because I wasn't a conspiracist at the time, but it has so many parallels with other conspiracies that we used to believe in. And it's just very, that one It's just so interesting seeing, okay, well, the truth is that you know, Klaus Schwab wrote a book called The Great Reset. That's about the only truth here. <laughs> it's compared to all the conspiracies. Sorry, spoiler alert for the la- for the next episode.
2: We, so our, our listeners are mostly academics and some journalists and some artists, but generally people I think would associate themselves. I, I think I would dare say they probably associate themselves with the left. Uh, and they, I think very few of them would, would consider themselves to be in those conspiracy worlds for that kind of audience. Like what, what would you like them to take away from this conversation and, and what do you think they need to be thinking about in terms of the dangers of this, of conspiracism and also the, the maybe hopeful points of what can be done about
3: it? I think there's a distinction between left-wing and right-wing conspiracies. And from, this is just from my experience. This is not, obviously, I'm not an expert. I'm not an academic. I haven't, (laughs) i haven't studied this i think um people who believe in conspiracies believe in them for two reasons one is bigger on the scale than the other for each side okay so for the right hand for the right conspiracies are based in suspicion with a tiny bit of cynicism for the left conspiracies are based in cynicism with a little bit of suspicion and so i'd like to say like just because you're on the left or the right doesn't mean you're not going to fall for a conspiracy theory. It's just you're going to fall for it in a different way. So, the right are very based in like a supernatural sort of suspicion, like, oh, these guys, these people work for the devil or something like that. Is there's a real, real suspicion. Oh, they're up to something else. You know, they're up to something else. And then the left is more like, I don't believe what they got to say. I don't believe them. I think they're doing it for a different reason. The World Economic Forum is a perfect example. Okay, the, the right are suspicious of them because they think they want to enslave everyone. The left are cynical of them because they don't think they're going to do anything. They don't think their message is genuine, which probably is true, but <laughs> you know, because I've always been a progressive. I didn't realize I was a lefty or anything, just progressive guy. I, I notice a lot of lefties are a lot more cynical about these things. And I think that can breed like the conspiracy because you don't know. You don't know if these people are genuine. It's actually just been
2: a, such a fascinating conversation. And so eye-opening and, and very moving, I think, mm-hmm. like uh, in a very genuine way. Like we're all, yeah, it's so important what you're doing. And also you're, you're, you're searching for a kind of redemption for uh, is also very important and compelling. So it's been a real, it's been a real pleasure and it's super enlightening to, to speak with you.
3: Thank you. Well, I got into, I got into it to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And just because I got out of it doesn't mean I still don't want to make a difference.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That for us is so, um, so revealing and so interesting because it's, it. I mean, we've been among those who've been sort of trying to push back within the people in our disciplines and academe who are sort of like, oh, well, this is all just kind of like, yeah, we've always wanted to be insisting that a lot of people who are in these conspiracy worlds are actually there because they are genuinely skeptical, smart people who are trying to figure out why the world's so fucked up, you know, and if you don't start from that place, you're not going to have any success. And And, and,
0: and there's a humanity as well that often, often gets lost.
3: And I appreciate your guys' work. See, this is something else that really surprised me starting to look through this, 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 this world basically, is coming across Karen Douglas and Peter Knight, mm-hmm. essentially first hearing academics speak about conspiracists without calling them dum-dums. Yeah. Basically, actually trying to understand. And this is why I want to speak to people like you or Marcus Gilroy where or mm. a- any who actually wants to take this seriously and isn't i don't know just dismissing us as losers in our basement or something i was not a loser i was a popular person i Mm -hmm. lost all my friends because of conspiracy theories i didn't get into conspiracy theories or into conspiracism because i was lonely Mm -hmm. i wanted to make a difference and i'm i'm so grateful that i get to come and speak to people like you Mm -hmm. who are compiling these stories who are Trying to figure out how to fix it from the top down. Do you know what I mean? I'm, and I'm here trying to fix it from the bottom up so we can meet in the middle.
1: You've been listening to Conspiracy Games and Counter Games, season two of The Order of Unmanageable Risks, a podcast about capitalism and its anxieties.
0: For more information about this podcast, to listen to other episodes or to learn about the broader project of which it's a part, please visit conspiracy.games.